A week ago uh, today we were observing the 4th of July, though its official name is Independence Day, and that is because on July 4th, 1775, was the day that the 13 American colonies proclaimed their separation from the British Crown with a Declaration of Independence written by Thomas Jefferson. The Declaration, together with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, are the founding documents in the American experiment of democracy. They organize our public life, guarantee our freedom, hold government accountable to the electorate, and define our institutions. They also remind us about who we are, why we are who we are, and where we have come from. It's easy to forget this. Many have, and many more are in the process of doing so. To protect us against this kind of national amnesia, these three charters, the original ones, not Xerox copies, the Founding Fathers couldn't get enough toner because of a British blockade, these original documents are on view at the National Archives in Con- Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C. Anyone can walk up and see them in their protective helium-filled case. At night, at the push of a button, they descend 20 feet into a 55-ton steel and concrete vault built to withstand a nuclear blast, just in case survivors are looking for reading material. Today, a week later, Benedictine monks, nuns, oblates, and others around the world are celebrating the solemnity of St. Benedict. We may not know much about him aside from Gregory the Great's pastoral letter, but we do know his rule. Every novice is instructed in it. We read a portion of it every day at the office of Prime. And like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the rule tells us who we are and where we have come from. It defines our spiritual and communal values and organizes the daily life of a Benedictine monastery in 73 short chapters. Unlike the founding documents of our democracy, we have no original copy of the rule of St. Benedict in a helium-filled case on view somewhere in an Italian monastery. That copy the one Benedict himself wrote in 516, was destroyed in a fire in 846. Luckily, copies were made of the original. Very early on, one of those copies made it across the continent to an English monastery, probably Canterbury, where a monk copied it on parchment in beautiful, unsealed script. That copy of the rule, which is a copy of a copy of the original copy, are you still with me? Do you copy? Was written around the year 700, 150 years after the death of St. Benedict. Whoever that English monk was, he would probably be gobsmacked, as the British like to say, to find that his is the oldest copy of the rule in existence. St. Benedict lived in troubled times. By the the time he was born in 480, the last vestiges of the once powerful Roman Empire had almost completely collapsed, 
from corruption within and invasion from without. Urban populations declined, cities decayed, learning and trade had very nearly disappeared. It was the beginning of what we have come to call the Dark Ages. This was what Benedict's world looked like when he wrote what he called a little rule for beginners. It created an ordered life of prayer and work as an antidote to the incoherent culture of his, uh, of his time, a culture in crisis. Among the essentials needed for a common life were clear lines of authority and accountability. You can go nowhere in the rule of Benedict that you do not encounter the abbot. But in Benedict's mind, the abbot is not the CEO of a small corporation. In chapters 2 and 64, he paints the portrait of the abbot as another Christ, the spiritual father of the community whose wise counsel and attentive management invoke humble service and mutual love. Because where love does not exist, there can be no true human, no true Christian community. A large part of the rule, 13 chapters in all, are spent regulating the day in measured rhythm of liturgy, manual labor, and reading. He understood that fear, stress, and anxiety are unhealthy conditions for a fully human life to flourish. This is what modern people call a rat race, what the French call boulot, uh, uh, dodo, and, and metro, metro, boulot, dodo, um, traveling on the uh, rush hour, working and sleeping. If Benedict was familiar with the term, he would have said that whatever else a rat race is, it's for rats, not for people. Finally, he insisted that when not singing the liturgy or working, monks should read texts, primarily the scriptures and the church fathers. And that meant that monks had to learn how to produce and conserve them. This was the origin of the great monastic libraries that preserved Greek and Latin and patristic classics, not to mention the scriptures themselves. The monastic scriptoriums and the cloister schools that sprang up wherever Benedictine monasteries were located became the origin of today's universities. Monasteries were islands of Catholic culture that balanced the love of learning and the desire for God. In this and other ways, the rule created the foundation for a Western culture to rise out of the ashes of imperial Rome. This is why Pope Paul VI named St. Benedict the patron of Europe in 1964. He did this at a time when Europe and North America began teetering on the brink of a new cultural collapse inaugurated by radical skepticism, moral relativity, and a naive faith in technology's promise of a better future for all. G.K. Chesterton wrote that saints are a kind of medicine for the ills of society in every age. By medicine, Chesterton did not mean palliative care. Saints are not the spiritual equivalent of a Tylenol for a culture in crisis. The saint is a medicine, Chesterton wrote, because he or she is an antidote. An antidote, you already know, is something given or taken 
to counteract a poison, as in the statement, there is no antidote to the poison of a pufferfish. History tells us that every civilization has its expiration date. St. Benedict was an antidote to the poisonous culture created by the death of imperial Rome. He's also an antidote to the sometimes toxic and incoherent elements of our own culture. The core principles of our democracy, namely a belief in the common good, a secure and stable society, the accountability of authority before God, a sense of moderation and proportion, the dignity and worth of the individual, all have their roots in a monastic rule of life written 1,200 years before Thomas Jefferson. These were the ideas that percolated for centuries through Western culture and came to fruition in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. The average visitor to the rotunda of the Charters of Freedom on Constitution Avenue are likely unaware of the link between July the 4th and July the 11th. But if they looked into those helium-filled cases closely enough, they might see a dim reflection of a 6th century Benedictine monk named Benedict of Nursia. <laughs> <laughs>